Hello, welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah. And we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book with added alcohol and cynicism. In today's episode, we're discussing two chapters which I definitely know which ones they are. I'm definitely not right now. I think it's seven and eight. That sounds correct. Of Harry Potter and the Chamber Pot of Secrets. The Chamber Pot of Secrets. <laughs> that was a joke. Um... Yeah. yeah, so grab some alcohol. And because that's the only way this is going to be bearable. We say that every time. <laughs> no, we don't. We do. Grab some alcohol and join us on this reminiscent journey. We're back again with chapter seven, Mud. Chapter seven of. Should I say what book we're doing? Do people That's not keep the up? That's formal intro. Yeah. Mudbloods and Murmurs. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, Charlie, what are we drinking today? We are drinking, um, well, no, before we say what we're drinking. This is true. So we put out on Twitter and Instagram. At Goblet of Wine Pod and at Goblet of Wine Podcast. Find us, add us. Yeah, asking what we should drink. And we got quite a few replies. We actually got a lot saying stuff that we have already drunk but in the past few episodes that aren't out yet yeah which was our fault for like including it yeah um or we got stuff that we don't own and we were we tweeted it and then we're drinking it tonight so we can't go and buy it we tweeted like a photo of the alcohol i'm sure we'll do it in the future so if you ever want to be able to vote when we do this yeah uh just give us a follow so the favorite of the replies that we got that we had to (laughs) do was from my mother. Yay! <laughs> yep. So, Mummies of the podcast. Yep. So, Mama Charlie, she replied, any of the lovely drinks I've brought you over the years, hashtag enabling parent. <laughs> Which uh, I love because it's so the kind of reply my mum would do. Like, when I saw it, I was like, did my mum write this? <laughs> I'm confused. Yeah. So, yep. So, we, obviously, we had to drink something that my mother has bought me. So... Today we are drinking clay. Uh, what? Clay. Clake. Clake. We're drinking clake. No, we're drinking cake flavored vodka. And Coke. And Coke. I'm going to try it for the first time now. Yeah, it just tastes. Mmm. Mmm. I thought it would just taste like vanilla vodka, but it doesn't. It does have a more sugary taste yeah. to it it's like really sugary icing not the kind of shit icing we have in the uk but like sugary american icing the kind that you get in the tub like I the red tub I've, I've had it like once where you literally like spoon it out a tub and it was mm. the most sugary shit ever yeah tastes like that yeah it's nice it is nice and also because it's coke hopefully it'll keep us awake for this podcast because guess what time it is when we're recording midnight 10 past actually yeah we have to find times when we can record this around i was about to say me and charlie's schedules but currently charlie's schedule (laughs) and uh it's a friday night and every time we record on a friday night we're like right charlie will come around straight after work and we'll get loads done and then we chat for ages and then we order food and then we'll get to like we'll record one episode like yeah we're doing really well and we'll get to the second episode we're like wow it's midnight we've not done the worst. I feel like if we end at 1am, that's actually quite decent going. Yeah, we've ended later than that. Yeah, we have. Um, but yeah, it was like this time we did a lot of unnecessary talking. Yeah, I don't think we'll, I don't think realistically we could ever get more than three episodes in an evening after work. And I don't think we'd want to. No, because you lose it, your flow. And you go so far in advance, it loses any relevance. Yeah. Yeah, we're back to regular scheduled content this time. Charlie hasn't made notes on the plot. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> I made notes on, like, my ironic, she look, quirky thoughts. She texted me, like, like when we started Chamber of Secrets, like, I want to start making notes on the plot because I loved it when we did the film one and we were passing it between us. I was like, great. And it worked so well the last two episodes. <laughs> and, and then it, and, and then she, she hasn't but made any notes. You still, you love doing the plot. I do. No, I do. You but do. I, I do. But I do think it works really well when we pass it between us. So it works both. But I had to make all these notes listening to the audiobook at work so I can't write down the entire plot. Right. So... The first week of school passes, so we're now having a bit of a time jump. Um, so it's been the first week, and Oliver Wood, whoop, whoop, 
wakes Harry up on Saturday for early morning Quidditch practice. And it, it, it made me think this thought. So he obviously like rouses all his players out of bed. Obviously like Harry, Fred and George. What does he do for the girls? Because we know he can't get up to their dormitories. Did he tell one of them to wake up and make them make her wake the rest of them up? Yeah, I feel like is it Angelina? Angelina's like his second in command. Yeah. 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 Angelina would have been all over that shit. She would have been. She still like acts all sarcastic with the others, but I think she's secretly like, I wanna be captain. Yeah. So yeah, I think he would have said like wake up at five, wake the other girls up. Yeah, definitely. But I just love him, like, I love the image that at one point when he made his team, he was, like, going up to the dormitories to try to wake them up, and at one point he set off that charm where it makes the thing turn into a slide, and he's like, oh, well, that's not fair. I mean, that would get them up. <laughs> it would. It would. Like, I, I love that whole bit. We'll talk about it when it happens, but I love the whole slide bit. Yeah. So Colin wakes up because he hears Harry's name on the stairs, because Colin has apparent bat ears. Like, if you're asleep, how do you hear someone's name right outside? Well... I suppose some people are light sleepers, but he's oh, like, Harry, I must go. I'm such a light sleeper. Are it's you? ridiculous. Well, as you keep telling me, you keep waking up when people go in your kitchen. Uh, to be fair, you've seen how close the microwave is to my door. If you're <laughs> yeah. microwaving at 4am, I'm going to wake up. <laughs> so Charlie one predicts me like, my housemate keeps microwaving and I keep waking up and I was kind of like, it can't be that bad. And then... I didn't realize, I forgot, I have been around Charlie's house before, but I forgot she'd moved rooms and the microwave literally almost sits against her door. Yeah, it's literally like the door frame. Microwave. Yeah. Have, like, you, have you now turned it back on in your room? I turned it off for a full two days. <laughs> Did he think it was broken? He said to me, like, because I said to him, like, you can't. And he's like, is that why you've turned it, <laughs> turned it off? I was like, yes. Yes. And then a day later, I turned it back on. Lol. And now he did it the other night, so it's going back off for the weekend. I love that you have the plug. <laughs> I have um, the power. So Colin follows Harry outside, and Harry is basically whining in his own head about Colin bothering him, because Harry's a grumpy little bitch. Mm. Like, Harry came into Hogwarts not knowing anything, and, like, had to ask all these questions, and was, like, really eager to learn stuff. Now this kid, who's muggle-born, so knows nothing about the wizarding world, just like Harry did wants to ask him questions and things. And Harry's just like, oh, I have to ask her, answer this kid's questions. Oh, oh, he's so annoying. He's like a little shadow that keeps talking. Like, how are you only a year older than this kid and you've got so arrogant already? He's cramping his style. I know, but you're not that cool, Harry. I'm that cool. You're not that cool. I'm so cool. I'm the coolest so they go into the changing rooms and wood rather than having a physical practice to start with spends over an hour lecturing them about tactics and training programs which he came up with over the summer bear in mind this is not an adult this kid is like 16 and he's like i've spent all summer making training programs i love wood's dedication this is why he actually makes it onto a professional quidditch team yep. when he leaves Oliver Wood is so extra, he's my spirit animal. He is amazing. Um, it mentions that Gryffindor lost the league last year because Harry missed the last game. Fucking the, Harry. But the team, he says the team didn't have a seeker, which annoys me because how did Oliver Wood, who is so good at tactics and shit, not think, do you know what I need? A reserve for every position on this team. You know what? He probably thought, he was like, look, if Voldemort couldn't kill this little fucker, what else is going to stop him <laughs> playing Quidditch? I can foresee no eventuality in which Harry is not fit to play. Which is ridiculous because Harry misses, on average, one game of Quidditch every year, if not more. You learn from your mistakes. Yeah. But yeah, I just love that. Well, it's just ridiculous that in this school of this many people, because they're like, oh, they didn't even have anyone to play Seeker. I'm like, putting anyone on a broom and just asking them to play the match and search for the snitch would have been better than having no one like they're not going to fuck up the game that badly yeah. just stick anyone on the broom and get them to play yeah anyone stick ron on the broom it doesn't matter yeah like at least put someone on the pitch it just really annoys me that they don't have a backup yeah um so they go out onto the pitch to finally play and the slytherins arrive here come but the before this amazingly Harry just pretends not to know who Colin Creevy is. <laughs> yeah, Which like, I, I love. Because Oliver is like, who is this person yeah. taking photos he of us? He could be a Slytherin spy. <laughs> he's like, Harry, do you know him? Harry's like, nope. But he's in Gryffindor, but I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know who that Definitely is. Definitely in Gryffindor, but no, no idea. It's just like, 
Harry so wants to funny. be. I get the idea though that Harry is like by f- like the youngest on the team, and he does kind of want to be. But yeah, he wants to be cool. He wants to be cool. Like yeah. he's he's like chill with Ron Hermione joining him for practices, but he's like, you know, I'm cool. I'm on the Quidditch pitch. I want them to think I'm cool. He's You're not cool, Harry. So cool. He's not cool. And we have to remember the entire team hated him up until the end of last year when they realised he'd been right all along. Do you remember the whole dragon thing? The team didn't speak to him for like Um, three months. Yeah. So he still worries about them. Yep. Um, Yeah, so the Slytherins arrive on the pitch and it mentions explicitly in the text that there are no girls on the Slytherin team and it makes quite a point to mention this. And I just kind of wondered why it was there. I found it an interesting point. Like, was it because at this point in the books, you know, J.K. Rowling's mate trying to make the Slytherins and especially the Slytherin Quidditch team seem quite evil and piling on top of that evilness is also an inherent sexism? Is that what she's trying to get across? If you are racist, you're definitely sexist and also homophobic because people very 2d and black and white yeah obviously yeah obviously obviously and like not all slytherins are evil but the quidditch team are always interpreted as quite bigoted yeah and like this is buzzing and take it off the table um and it's just interesting that like that comes across in sexism too like because quidditch is interesting because it is a co-ed sport because why wouldn't it be? Because it's on brooms. And I strongly yeah, believe but, that all sports should be co-ed. Like, but, there's very few sports which need to be gender separated. Yeah, but doesn't Natron, isn't Ginny just part of a women's team? There is a women's team. The Hollyhead Harpies is an all-woman team. Yeah. Mm. Which is kind of like, if there was an all-men team, there'd be uproar. Yeah. Which is always an interesting point. But I, maybe it begun when Quidditch was all men, so they created the Hollyhead Harpies, and then it's still left over from that, because that still happens. Well, like, maybe it just happens to be an all-women's team. Yeah, it could be. It could be. But it's, like, th- there's no need. Quidditch has no inherent reason why you men, are, when, men yeah, would be better at it. Yeah, because it completely than... removes the physical aspect to it, which, don't believe in that argument anyway. No, the but only like, sport which you... I can perceive possibly to be separated is things like rugby yeah yeah like rugby is maybe the only one but like with you know obviously it does take a certain like physical um like fitness to be on a broom but like yeah whether you're male or female makes does, no, ab- difference. no impact no so difference it, it shouldn't be gender divided but the slytherin seem to have this as well as being you know and at some points later on in the books there's definitely mentions of racism not just towards like obviously mudbloods and muggleborns um but actually towards like people of color as well um and we know so it fits with the text but they'd also be a bit sexist yeah because i don't think it's like oh we don't like women i just think it's the captain being like well the men who flew were better you know because he's a sexist because he's a sexist yeah yeah so we then find out that Draco is on the team because, and I actually, I knew this was a bit, I knew this was a bit of the book, but it still shocked me. Draco makes it onto the team because his dad bought the entire team new brooms. Yeah. Which is just, like, I was always going to say it's a metaphor, but it's not. And it's it's an explicit thing that happens in, like, every part of life where people with privilege buy their way onto things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, I'm sure you can think of loads of examples when it ha- where, when it's happened before. And, like, it does happen in schools as well. I can think of times where parents donate to certain things in school under the pretense that their children are going to not get better grades, but get better treatment, get into better clubs in the school and things like that. But it's just the explicitness of they needed a seeker. Draco's dad bought them seven brooms, which we know cost a huge amount in the wizarding world. Like Uh this is the equivalent. This is one of the most highly priced items in the wizarding world. And Draco's dad bought seven brooms so his 12-year-old son could get into a school team. Yeah. But it is basically like any entrance into any like top level yeah. university. I wouldn't go so far as to say Russell Group, but definitely Oxbridge. Like, yeah. gotta buy your way in. Yeah, it happens. And there's things up and down like this country where like wings of schools and hospitals have got certain people's names on because they've been bought by certain people trying to gain a privileged access. And oh, it's just so, it made me feel quite ill. Yeah. Not yeah, great. It's not great. 
Um, so Hermione is the only one that actually makes a jab about this and says at least no one on the Gryffindor team had to buy their way in. Which, yeah. thank you, Hermione, to be the only one to actually bring this up. Like, everyone else is just like, eh, blah, blah. Yeah. Hermione's like, actually like, this is a load of bullshit. Yeah. But it is ridiculous that in a sport where, like, it's not really based on the team players, like, physical, mm. like, it shouldn't, you should have standardised brooms. I don't understand this. Like, especially in a school, they should have standardised yeah, brooms. Yeah, because I understand in, like, leagues, like, professional yeah. leagues, it's about what budget you get from ticket sales, blah, blah, yeah, blah. exactly. That's, like, that's how, like, football works. That's how they buy the best players. Yes. No, that makes total sense to but me. But in a school, you should have standardised brooms because otherwise it does become an issue of privilege as yeah. opposed to Yeah, because it means more privileged children have a much higher chance of getting on the team than other children. So yeah. you should provide all of them with, let's say, a good clean sweep and they all have to play on that. Yeah, and we went into it into a previous episode. It's like the privilege you that you get with Quidditch if you're from a wizarding family as opposed yeah. to being muggle-born, you know, if you were muggle-born, unless you're Justin Finch-Fletchley, you're instantly at a disadvantage mm-hmm. and probably most likely financially as well, as well mm. as, you know, wizarding knowledge and starting early. Yeah. Because converting muggle money into wizard money kind of not lost money obviously but like that's it's not gonna be something you don't you wouldn't necessarily trust the currency so i i'd imagine you'd only buy the essentials yeah especially at the beginning exactly and yeah and to actually have money that you can just take a massive chunk and be like right gonna turn this into galleons yeah there's just so much about the school which I, you change like reading these books as an adult I'm just like standardise some stuff because this is yeah. so catering towards privileged people and it allows people like Malfoy privilege which he doesn't deserve and it also means he will act worse and worse if his dad had said "You, I will buy you a good broom if you make it onto the team if you're good enough to make it onto the team I'll buy you a good broom yeah. that's a level of privilege which I'm happy with because his dad has the money for a good broom, and if he proves his worth, mm-hmm. then therefore buy him a gift. Buying his way onto the team is completely different. Yeah. And it's it's just... Oh, it makes me really angry that the school allows this to happen. Yeah, but really Hogwarts angry. is shit. Hogwarts is a load of shit. The worst. So Malfoy calls Hermione a filthy little mudblood, and everyone goes mental. So what we can assume by this is that it's the same as calling someone a filthy little and then racist word. Like, it's or, the same level. Yeah. yeah. Or, like, sexist word or ableist or homophobic. Yeah. But racist is definitely what you immediately... Yeah, something that... Like, because I, I always thought as a kid, what would make people, like, shout and scream and friend George almost throw themselves on people? Because I couldn't imagine that level of anger as a kid, but I think it's because I wasn't often exposed to really hurtful terms especially when i first read these books but now as an adult when i've heard some terms like being thrown around in like social situations where people have got really angry i've heard things said in unfortunately work situations so have i so have i but you know there's like and but the way malfoy says it is also the way people says things like i never want to hear those words thrown around in any situations but people throw them around as a joke but if you're all saying filthy little and then a slur yeah it's it's such an aggressive way of saying it yeah Yeah. like neither's okay but this is definitely awful yeah and anything if you call anything filthy little it's so derogatory like little filthy like if you unpick Mm. those words it's really even if i said filthy little hannah yeah that's derogatory yeah yeah it's so derogatory so i can see why like fred george jumping and someone if i heard someone call someone like a filthy little something i would not go yeah. to punch someone, but I would go to like jump in front of them and be like, yeah. don't say that. Let alone, it just makes it a thousand times worse when it's then that plus a slur. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Ron obviously jumps to Hermione's defense, tries to curse Malfoy, his broken wand, which no one has bothered to replace for him yet. Yeah. Ends up backfiring but and he also, starts vomiting adorably, slugs. Fred and George also go to defend Hermione, which is just the cutest because at this point they don't really know her that I know, well. they know her as like Ron's friend, but they don't know her. But yeah. I like to believe that they've been raised in a household where like... You defend that shit. You defend that shit. And like, they want to defend her. She's 
their brother's friend. And they'd also defend anyone if they heard anyone saying that someone. Yeah. So they, but they actually defend to the point where they rush at him to punch him. Yeah. It's like, adorable. It is adorable. And I always like to think, like, after everything had happened, they'd come up to her and be like, you okay? Like, you okay? Yeah. That was bad. You okay? They're adorable. Yep. They're adorable. Alicia is like, how dare you? <laughs> Which I have a love for, like, Angelina and Alicia and um, Katie. I have this, like, I like the way they're developed in the books and I like the way they do kind of stick up for Hermione and Ginny and things like that. They're, like, mm-hmm. written very nicely in the books, I think. Yeah. So Rollins ends up vomiting slugs and Harry and Hermione decide to take him to Hagrid's because... It's the closest place. I find it odd how it's never mentioned if Fred and George are worried about Ron and they don't go with him. Probably not. No, they're just like, oh, Ron's vomiting slugs. Quidditch? Probably. (laughs) Yeah, they just don't care. No. I mean, they might care, but they don't really care. Um, So, yeah, they decide to go to Hagrid's, which I know it's closer, but Hagrid's just like, ah, just chuck it up and wait it out. I feel like if they had made it all the way to Madame Pomfrey, she'd be like, here's something to fix it. You agree with Hagrid? Like, it's got to come out. It has got to come out. Where else is it going to go? I don't know. Surely there's a potion that could stop it? I don't know. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What's this in there? There's only one way it goes. And I I don't know. I quite like that. Hagrid has a very practical, hands-on approach to healing. Yeah, here's a bucket. (laughs) Yeah, like, here's a bucket. Get it out. Yeah, and then he's like, are you ready for treacle tart? And I'm just like, no. (laughs) but also like the idea of vomiting slugs oh it makes me feel really ill like i don't like vomiting and what the idea of vomiting slimy slugs but also just i know harry doesn't know what the word means and he would have jumped to hermione's defense whatever but i just love ron in this moment like he's just given another moment to like shine and because he wasn't trying to hurt malfoy like he was trying to make him vomit slugs i think that's a fair you know, come back to someone saying a word like that. Yeah. Um, I, I just love Ron. So Hagrid actually says a little hint about the Defence Against the Dark Arts job being jinxed, which I realise is the first time this has ever been mentioned. Yeah. Because obviously we know it because we've read the books and everything. So when we read the first one, we knew in our head, oh, the job's jinxed. But because we're only on the second book, in your head, in like the no- normal reader's head, you think oh, well, you know, the first one died because Harry's death hands killed him. So now we need a second one. But this is the first hint where Hagrid's like, oh yeah, the job's jinxed. We haven't been able to keep anyone for ages. And it just yeah, peppers through the Yeah, because it is books. only the second one that we know of. So yeah. this could have just been the second one. Exactly. Which is why, doesn't it not make sense? Because Quirrell had been there longer. I feel like she didn't think of the jinxing the job idea until this book and then she was like yeah no Crow was only there one year and we're like what about the bit where you said and she's like no I never said anything yeah the only possible way is if she could say that he was there but teaching a different subject but then what subject or maybe they always say like we've never been able to keep someone very long so maybe someone Mm. managed two years I don't know like maybe yeah Anyway, make a whole lot of sense. Doesn't. But, okay. Um, so then Ro- Hagrid asks, like, what happened? And Ron explains what Ron, what Draco called Hermione. And Hermione doesn't know what the word means, which makes a lot more sense than the stupid, stupid bit in the film. Where she explains it. Where she explains it and then cries they, over it. Because yeah, they give all of Hermione's, all of Ron's, Ron's lines, lines to, to Hermione. Hermione. But yeah. also it makes no textual sense. Yeah. That she would know what it means, because why would she? Because even if you read the explanation of book, you might get a bit upset about it, but you wouldn't be crying. I don't know. Yeah. I'm very lucky that I've never really had to be, you know, the recipient of yeah. that much. Like, all I really get is, like, biphobia. Yeah. Uh, and that's mostly from a place of, like, misinformed ignorance as yeah. opposed to slurs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like it's a different thing. Like, it sucks, but it it's not the same as, like, someone saying a word at me. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's also written quite subtly into the books that Hermione actually gets more offended by the word as the books goes on. Yeah. Because in this book, and some of the ones following it, you know, people call her it and she's just like, don't worry about it, Ron, stop, don't worry about it. Yeah. But by the last book, 
she is kind of upset when people call her the word because it has started to degrade her personally. Yeah, and she understands kind of the wider context of yeah. what it means. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this book, she doesn't know what it means. Um. So then I wanted to talk about like the the word mudblood and how Ron explains it as um, dirty blood mixing with muggles means dirty blood. And I wanted to talk about like the archaic backstory to that. I'm starting to think in this episode we don't sound very drunk because I'm like, the archaic backstory. <laughs> there was the other episode though where we discussed like cultural capital. And this is the thing, like we make our notes when sober mm. and then discuss them when drunk. Yep. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. At some point we're still waiting for the time someone tweets us like, you're not drunk. And we're like, you watch all these clips and photos. Yeah. Yep. Bring it, bitches. Yep. So. Someone's just going to do that now just to see. Yeah. Go on then. Go on. Um, so it's just, it's very archaic. Like the connotations of dirty blood. I feel like it's something that we are both privileged to not have to experience like that much in our lives. Like some people referring to like dirty blood, tainted blood, things like that. But like Ron mentions that wizards would have died out without marrying muggles, but it's a belief of some pure bloods that they can't mix with muggles, muggles because it dirties the blood. Um, like, and it's, it's a very old fashioned world view because, so there used to be a book in, uh, Britain, um, I'm sure there was in other countries as well, um, that listed every single family in the landed gentry. So the landed gentry being the very upper class, the people who had family names. Um, and me and Neil actually found this book in a vintage bookshop. We actually found a copy of it and it was printed every year and it listed all the families in the landed gentry. And if you were in the landed gentry, you could only marry someone within the landed gentry. Gross. So your family, if they didn't personally know the person you were marrying, would look up the person in the in the book and see their family history. And they'd be judged on like their family history. And you could literally only marry people in this book. Obviously, it's a huge book, but it's still a book of people. Like you yeah. can't fit that many people in a book of people. Uh, but this was something that was normal in Britain, like for the upper classes. Obviously, it didn't matter so much for... The middle class married the middle and the lower class married the lower and the upper class all married each other. And this only really and their stopped. cousins. And their cousins. But what that meant was, you're right, everyone ended up being related somehow, which causes, I, it sounds really offensive to say problems in inbreeding, but that is the connotations that's written here as well, that wizards would have died out. But it's also that if you continuously marry the same families over and over again, you stop being able to produce as many children and there are problems with the lines because you're not getting enough strands of different... Yeah. We continue as a race yeah. because of differences in our strands of intermingling. That's how we continue. Yeah. And this is what I love and, you know, it's something that does happen concerning or more happened, but I guess still does. Just yeah. Just not as much. Like where people, you know, in order to stay pure, not necessarily pure blood in wizardry terms but just pure pure of. upper class yeah. whatever like inbreed and they think that makes them better when actually that makes them inbred and ill and dumb as shit yeah so you're like you're actually worse than the rest of us but you think that you're better i know it's this weird thing to wrap your head around because they think it's bad and tainted and dirty if you mix bloodlines but what it does long term is it, it does ruin your bloodlines. The bloodlines become weak because you're only marrying within the exact same, basically, DNA strands for you. So your DNA can't become better and stronger. Like, I, I don't know all the scientific terms for it, but I think that's the basics yeah. of it. Yeah. But in England, this only really stopped this whole landed gentry marrying each other thing in uh, uh, World War One. That's yeah. how recent it is. Like, that's less than 100 years ago. Super gross. So J.K. Rowling's really pulling from those, like, bits of quite recent history to pull this into the wizarding thing and it's just it's so obvious what she's pulling from when ron says the line like um we have to marry muggles or we would die out mm. and i find it interesting that she makes a point of that here in the text but then none of the main characters at the end of the book marry muggles yeah it's that's like not true. a thing 
But like I and I also I think it's interesting that Ron is like twelve here and he says that mm. because when I was twelve I wouldn't really have much of a um, an awareness of yeah. this. So I think it says a lot about Mr. and Mrs. Weasley and as what parents, they're teaching where them. They have clearly sat them down and said, We are pure bloods, but this is why we do not agree with that. Yeah. Um Yeah, because it's quite amazing that the Weasleys are still pure and there is marrying cousins and i think it's quite interesting we never you know in the actual canon get a lot of his like you know weasley family history but Mm. like there has been like marrying cousins happening uh so at what point in the weasley lineage do they break away from that because i feel like it must literally just be mr and mrs weasley because well yeah they basically well, it's basically said that Mr. and Mrs. Weasley are both somehow related to Sirius Black because they're part of, I think J.K. Rowling called it in other texts, the um, the sacred 12 or 13, like a certain number of names who, had, who were definitely pure. Yeah. And Weasley had been crossed off the list, but not because they ever their bloodlines were never pure because of their affiliation with liking muggles. Yeah. Um, and it isn't until basically Mr. and Mrs. Weasley's children that the bloodlines start to become not pure because like Ron marries Hermione, who is muggle-born, therefore their children are half-blood. Yeah, I think it, it's quite interesting and I would love to learn more about this, but yeah. I don't think we would ever get kind of an unbiased modern updating from J.K. Rowling because I would, like, if I were to interpret that, I would say that they were the kind of family where they love to be like, oh yeah, we're really open with this, blah, 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 and say that. But then in actual practice behind closed doors, it's not the way that it actually is. A lot of the time, like, now you get, like, very woke people that actually behind closed doors are not that, you know, in, you know... Because Ron mentions at one one point that we have a second cousin who's a accountant, but we don't talk about them. Yeah. I'm like... But you love muggles and support marrying muggles and having muggles in your family. So why wouldn't you talk about this muggle you have who's a second cousin? Exactly. So maybe it is, you know, there is a darker, more traditional side to the Weasley family. Yeah. And that's, you know, obviously it's not the kids and it's not really Mr. and Mrs. Weasley. But they have maybe the rest left of the family is very, talk the talk, oh look at us, we are, you know, part yeah. of the light side, we love muggles. We love muggles. No, no, no. We'd never marry one. Oh, no, they're not for marrying, but we love muggles. Yeah, it's just, it, there's a lot to unpack in these, like, few sentences of text. And we'll go into it so much more because, you know, muggle-born, stuff like that comes up again and again. It's a very strong recurring theme in the books. Um, but this is the first time it's really explicitly gone into. Yeah. And yeah. it's just very interesting because it it's pulling from both landed gentry and not m- marrying a lower class to you and racism and homophobia it's pulling from loads of different and um it's also strongly pulling from obviously like nazi culture in world war Two. it's pulling from all these different things to yeah. make like this horrible hatred that's in the wizarding world yeah yeah um also, sorry, I had one more point and then I'm going to go off the mudblood, muggle-born thing. It must be quite shocking for Hermione because up until this point, she's gone into the wizarding world like, oh my God, I'm finally accepted here. I'm really excelling here. And I have these two great friends and everything's going great for me. And look how wonderful everything is. And after a year in the world, she finds that people hate her for no other reason other than how she was born. And that must be quite shocking, I think, for her after a year of being like, wow, the magical world is great. Like, I'm just trying to put myself in her shoes and imagine, like, how that must feel to find that out. Yeah. Like, this poison in the wizarding world that you thought was so great. Like, because you would be so in awe of the wizarding world if you went into it. And then to find this, like, poisonous underneath. Yeah. You know what's quite interesting in terms of kind of, like, like class and inbreeding and family mm. within the Harry Potter world. So like mm. family within like our society mm. um, was invented purely out of passing down property. Mm. Um, so that's like why it came about. It came about as a way that they could legally like pass down property. They could marry someone and pass it on to their yeah. like, children. But like in Harry Potter, we never really see property. Like the only time we kind of have any 
like um, indication of like property really being a thing is with house elves and how house elves typically come with like very yeah. wealthy estates. Also, Sirius but, gives Harry a house. But like it's but like the thing is like the marriage thing was typically like farming property. It wasn't necessarily yeah. like oh I've got a fancy house because that wasn't really much yeah. of a thing back. Well, it was, but you know, not commonly. Yeah. But it was more like oh you know I have this farming land and I need to pass it on so. You just wonder at what what point and why did marriage cross over into the, mm. you know, wizarding world? I suppose when, at the point you're talking about, which is, we're talking like 500 years ago, wizards and muggles were living together at that point. In, quote unquote, not harmony, but they were living together in communities. They weren't separated yet. Well... So at the same time, I guess. But, like, were they? Because we know that in the American wizarding world, they weren't, like, a hundred years ago. But then, obviously, it was a lot sooner in Europe, but then that earlier? Yeah, yeah. They were living... Up until, I think, the 1800s, wizards and muggles were living together. Mm. Or the 1700s. But it's just quite interesting, because I don't think they would adopt it, like, just because all muggles are doing this thing. Because there's a lot of things they don't adopt that muggles do. There must have been a reason, but property doesn't seem like a massive wizarding no but maybe it is i don't know you know obviously when you're a wizard you don't really have to worry about farming the land or no. manufacturing things mm. um so why was you know i don't know there's a lot of deeper issues which if you peel it back you're like why yeah. would wizards do like, that you could say that it's the like inbreeding and staying pure thing but you couldn't inbreed and stay pure without marriage being part of it this is true this is true interesting it is interesting so they go back into the castle and mcgonagall tells harry that he has to spend his detention with lockhart yes yay Which harry's like a... i'd rather clean trophy oh sorry yeah no i had a point before this so mm. um he mentioned so hagrid shows his pumpkins oh yeah. like massive like extra large pumpkins yeah and Obviously, Harry's Suicide. yeah. Harry's like, what are you feeding them, Hagrid? And Hagrid's like, oh, they've had um, some extra help. And then like Harry observes like his pink umbrella, yeah, clearly wand. And I just like, I think this is really interesting. Like, what is the like, how how did he get his wand or his wand pieces or whatever made into a broom? Is there some kind of like underground industry for this? Well, like, how do you get the pieces that... after it snapped? Or did he take up woodworking and doing it himself? Well, it's weird to me that after they snap your one, they give you the pieces back. Exactly. So was there something else that went on there? But like... maybe they give you the pieces back because they're like, they can definitely never do magic with this. You can have the pieces back just as like a memento. But Hagrid's that... managed to and fudge that... them together. Yeah, that seems like they wouldn't do that. I don't know. I feel like there's a story there, you know? Yeah. And like, how do you... I don't know. I feel like there must be an underground, like smuggling wand pieces kind of forming into something else inconspicuous like that's quite a cool underground you know who the person to ask would be mundungus fletcher he would know someone he would definitely know know someone and hagrid knows him from you know the older days so maybe that's he could probably be like look who do you know i can slip a couple of galleons put my one back together yeah exactly maybe that is a why hagrid knows mundungus this is a good point so yeah they go back into the castle and Harry is told he's doing his detention tonight with Lockhart and Ron wishes he was doing Harry's detention and Harry wishes he was doing Ron's detention. And Lockhart has specifically requested to Harry. Yep. So that he can address the envelopes to his fan mail. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so this goes on for four hours. How much fan mail does Lockhart have? Lots of horny menopausal ladies. And then right at the end of the detention, Harry hears a voice saying, I want to kill Rip Tap. He hears a voice whispering. Creepy. Yeah. Um, And obviously he hears it just in English, but we know now that it's in Parsifal Tongue. Which is hissing. So like... Do you reckon this year just a lot of people like really inexplicitly suddenly needed a wee? Like if you were in class and suddenly like you just had Also, fuck, I really need a piss. Also, something I just thought. Why is the snake talking to itself? Like it's it's snaking along the pipes. It's looking for something to kill and it's like, mmm, murder. I want to kill someone. 
Yeah, death. It's not saying this inside its own head. Harry can't hear the snake's thoughts. It's saying this out loud. As someone that lives alone, I talk to myself. Fair. Uh, I will also talk to my cats. Oh, maybe the snake had a cat. Maybe it was talking to Mrs. Norris. It's like, maybe that's why she was the first to be petrified because he's like, oh, kitty, I'm going to talk to it. And then he spends the rest of the time talking to the cat because he doesn't realise what he's done. I mean, to be fair, that snake must be fucking lonely. It's been down in the chamber since Slytherin put it there. So like a thousand years. To be fair, I'd I'd believe it talks to itself. I just realised that it's talking to itself. Yeah. But, you know, I do that. I used to do that all the time at university. I used to talk to myself. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so they, he gets back to the dormitory and um, there's a little mention that Ron vomited all over an award for special services to the school, which is a nice little hint for later about when he remembers Tom Riddle's name. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And that's the end of the chapter. Moving <laughs> on. Chapter eight. The Death Day Party. It's suddenly October. I feel like they always do this massive jump. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Especially in the earlier books. They're like, it's Christmas. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's the only way. But the thing is, because it's a school year, it works really well. I'll tell you where it doesn't work really well. And I'm going to bring this up in book seven. In book seven, where they no longer have the school year to rely on time jumps. And the time jumps are just awkward as fuck in book seven. Mm -hmm. It's like, suddenly it's Easter. Wait, it was Christmas three pages ago. Yeah, they've been in a tent. What? <laughs> shagging. There were three of them at that point. And? Shagging. So Harry's coming back from Quidditch practice and he bumps into nearly headless Nick. And Nick is sad that he can't join the headless hunt. Which, yeah, I get him feeling sad, but no, he clearly can't join the headless hunt. What side of this are you on? He clearly can't join. I agree that he can't join, but he specifically says so. It was 45 times they hacked at his head, which raises the question to me, at what point does your, like, corporeal form become your, is it incorporeal? Do you mean at what point do you turn into a ghost? Yeah, at what point does that physical form, because... I'm sorry, 45 times. I don't care how blunt that axe is. Your head has come off. No. But if it is at the point that you die, obviously that's going to be like, hack two. You know? Or like, three. He clearly, no, he clearly died when it was hanging on by a bit of sinew. Yeah, but like, you know, so... I I don't know, like, it's not specifically said, you know, at what point Well, they say if you cut someone's head off quickly enough they'll still like blink and stuff for a couple more seconds i don't know if that's true this is just things i've heard isn't that chickens they'll continue running yeah but i think also humans i don't think they'll continue running (laughs) no but i don't i I don't know but it's just like you know it's a point because i guess you kind of think they would be represented by the way that their corpse is yeah you think they would have got the head off for the corpse yeah but then surely if his head's half off um but i just like i know why he's not allowed to join the headless hunt and i kind of agree with it because yeah he can't play head polo like but the thing is he really wants to join in so they could find other ways for him to join in that's the thing i'm sure they could find other ways they could be like hey you can't play headless polo but could you ref for us yeah, I think they're just dicks, Hannah. They're just dicks, I know. I think it's just like an elitist I know. group yeah, of headless people. Um, so Harry gets pulled into Filch's office because he's been spreading mud everywhere. Which he's caught by Mrs. Norris, which yep. I just love because... So we know that Filch is a squib. Yeah. Or like it's, you know, pretty much established in the text. It's never completely confirmed, yeah, is it? Yeah, it is. Literally in the next chapter. No, no, no. They say that he's been taking... Yeah, and then Filch says he knows. He knows I'm a squib. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So, like, we know that he's a squib, but he seems to have, like, a magical connection with Mrs. Norris. Which leads me to believe Mrs. Norris is a magical cat. But then how would she have a connection with a non-magical... I don't know. I just felt like we never learned that much about squibs. And I think if you're but, born by magic, you must have... You might not have super strong magic. Yeah, but you have but traces. you've got to have some. Because 
Mrs. Fig can see Dementors. So she does yeah. have traces of magic. Exactly. So I think they're just people with like incredibly weak magic. Or yeah. Ma- maybe magic in your non-typical way. way. Which I suppose is why Quickspell exists. Because squibs can't perform like the same magic. But they can harness basic magic if exactly. taught in the right way. Yeah. But, Which um, is a shame that people take the piss out of the quick spell course. Yeah. People just try to better themselves. The word better might be problematic. That's true. But I mean, squibs I, are I, very I, problematic in the books. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and then also, obviously, like, Mrs. Norris is seen as this, like, massive, like, villain mm. in the thing. Well, not massive villain. She's seen as, like, a villain. Like, she's on Filch's side, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Um, which upsets me because she's a cat. But also, like, I don't know a single cat that won't do dastardly things for dreamies. Imagine if you were, like, a muggle-born, like... Student. And you just, like, the first year, you were just like, your life was fucked up by Mrs. Nora. Second, you came with your entire trunk full of dreamies. Dreamies, yeah. And you just, like, fed her these cat treats until she was on your side. That would be so good. No matter what she caught you doing, she's like... Dreamy. Dreamy. And then she just lets you away with that it. That would be so funny. And Pilch can't work out why and you're like, you'll never know. Dreamy, sponsor us. Please, Dreamy, sponsor us. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so, Filch is about to give Harry a punishment when there's a loud bang and he runs out the room. Um, Harry finds the quick spell letter on the desk and wonders if Filch isn't a real wizard. Harry calls it a real wizard. Um, he doesn't know any better. No, he doesn't know. Um, Filch comes back and mentions, it's my favourite point of all the books. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you know what I'm going to talk about? Okay. Filch mentions the vanishing cabinet. He mentions the vanishing cabinet. Does he? Yeah. He says, Peeves, don't roll your eyes. Charlie just rolled her eyes at me. This is really interesting. That's slander. I did no such thing. He did. Um, I did. Filch says, Peeves has done damage to an extremely old, extremely valuable vanishing cabinet. <gasps> and so it begins. And so it begins. So. I, I don't, I think because at this point I was at work listening to the podcast. Mm. So the podcast, the audio book. So I didn't quite pick up on it. So this is something I realised like, I think two or three years ago. And I looked it up online at the time and like two or three other people had mentioned it on like Reddit and that was it. It wasn't a big thing. Um, But basically, Nearly Headless Nick asked Peeves to drop the cabinet to get Harry out of trouble. So Peeves drops the vanishing cabinet over Filch's office. This is what breaks the vanishing cabinet. So therefore the vanishing cabinet is broken when Fred and George shove Montague in it. Therefore Malfoy works out that it goes to Borgin and Burks and fixes it for book six. But this is the reason why it breaks, to get Harry out of trouble. So Harry is linked to this series of events that ends with the Death Eaters coming into the school. And like, maybe if the Vanishing Cabinet was never broken, the Death Eaters would have still come into the school. But in that case, Montague might have never ended up in the cabinet. So Malfoy would have never known about it. It's just this whole chain of events which J.K. Rowling set up super early because the Vanishing Cabinet is something that she... No, because this is the second mention of the Vanishing Cabinet in this book. Because in Borgen and Burks, Harry gets into a large black and gold cabinet. Yeah, okay. So she set this up. Like, the same way that the second... Like, we were saying that the second book is probably, like, our least favourite. But it has the most setup for later yeah. books. It's got the I, diary. Yeah, got... I was still open for me to massively change my opinion about this book yeah. during this reading. I just can see that coming. I can see my, myself understanding it. Because I don't think I've ever done a proper reread of it. Obviously, I've read it and listened to it on audiobook a lot. But I think we said before, whenever we do, it's in moments of like, I need to listen to this audiobook to be able to sleep through the anxiety. Yeah. I need to listen to it to stop a panic attack. Yeah. Or I'm sobbing and I need to read a book. Yeah, and that's same. most of the time when I will read Harry Potter. It yeah. is a comfort blanket and a coping me- mechanism. So whenever I, I read it, it's not a deep reading. This is the first time I've done a deep reading. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously occasionally I've read bits of the books and had deep thoughts about it. But yeah. never properly sat and analysed it. So I am willing and expecting myself to change my opinion about this book. Because I think if... Like, you can't, you definitely already, you know, a few chapters in, we know that you can't remove this book and have 
the you know if you remove this book all of the rest of harry potter would just crumble down yeah and i think that might make it the most important book and maybe the best book yeah and i think she said like she at this book in the first book as we said she didn't know whether it was going to take off so she wasn't setting up too much yeah but this book she's really setting stuff up and the vanishing cabinet is one of the most subtle things because i never spotted it but the va- there's a vanishing cabinet in Borgen and Bucks, and there's a vanishing cabinet here. And it just amazes me that Harry is the cause of this chain of events. Of course it is, because it's always fucking Harry who's the yeah. cause of these chain of events. But if he hadn't got in into trouble, then maybe the vanishing cabinet wouldn't have broken and Malfoy couldn't have gone through with his plan. And I just, ah, uh, you know, I love, I, I love like Easter eggs and mini callbacks. Like I know they annoy people, but I love the bit where they find, realise they all touch the locket in book seven, in book five. Like when they realise that they all handled the locket because it gave me chills. And this gives me the same feeling when I realise, this is the broken vanishing cabinet. Yeah. Gives me those feelings. It will always annoy, like I knew, and not through any like merit of myself, but I knew about the locket before it was... Oh, that would make me so Because someone I knew worked it out and told me and... It really annoys me. I'm not surprised. Like, you know, obviously at the time they kind of said, I was like, well, that sounds legit, but you know, it, that could be a I don't know how someone worked that out. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was actually my friend's mum genuinely did. I, she might have seen it somewhere, but I feel like at the time she would yeah. have just worked it out. That's impressive. Like, I guess like maybe you did, you went from reading, oh, it's a locket, and then you went back and read the other book. Yeah. And maybe you would pick up on it. Yeah. But... Yeah, it just annoyed me because we were like literally kids at the time. Yeah. So I don't fucking say anything. And I remember getting chills at that point. I remember. It was the point where they're like, he realised they all touched it. And I was like, <gasps> Yeah. Yeah. I just love setup and I love callbacks. Yeah. Um, but like, Nick is a bro for doing this family. Yeah. Yeah. Such a bro. Such like, a bro. He's I like, know, I, I love how he doesn't do it. He's like, Pete, you do it. Yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> he's know. like, I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. I love when we get like personality out of Nick. Like he's just one of those characters where he's kind of there. And especially in the films, like he isn't expanded on no, enough, especially no. considering that they cast fucking John, John Cleese. I know. Who just like no better casting. And you could have done so much with that character. Yeah. He was a perfect casting for how he's in the book. And yeah. then in the film, he's just like a couple of one liners yeah. that aren't even that good. Yeah. You're like, you just wasted. I love that, like, casting on him. Yeah, because I love that he's peppered in every book, and then at the end of the fifth book, he gets that heartbreaking moment when he has to be the one to tell Harry that Sirius isn't coming back as a ghost. Yeah. And, like, then he's again in the seventh book, he's there at the Battle of Hogwarts, and I just, oh. Yeah. yeah, I just love it. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's a great character, and he was perfectly cast in the film, as we'll go into, but wasted. Like, the entire treatment Mm. of the ghost. I feel like the ghosts were one of those things where. The filmmakers were like, ha, this is this quirky little ghost. Just yeah. because, you know, it's a magic school. You've got to have ghosts. And they didn't realise that they were actually going to be really fucking important. Yeah. And, and that's why they didn't put peace, even though... They cast him as that, Rick and Nale. Probably out of all of it. Even though I've never actually seen him do it. Just you couldn't have any better casting. Yeah. You know I, he turned up to the film not knowing he'd been cut. No. He turned up to the premiere with his children. Not knowing he'd been cut from the film. No one had told him. Uh, breaks my heart. Yep, 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 yep. Just die inside now. I love Rick Mail mm-hmm. so much. So speaking of ghosts, um, Harry agrees to go to Nick's death day party. Yay! So then they go back to the common room and Harry explains about the death day party. Oh, no, I have a point before this. Um, there's a bit when Harry's reading about the quick spell book. Oh, yeah. Um, and there's like an advertisement for it kind of thing like, or like a description of what it is Yeah. and like there's one bit when it's like a quote and he's like oh my wife was really annoying me or something so I turned, turned her, her into a yak. yak ha 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 really funny domestic violence yeah don't like turn women into you yaks you can't just turn someone into a yak because they're annoying you and obviously this is like comedic and it's not actually supposed to be domestic violence but I think it raises a really interesting point into can and it's people something... turn other people into yaks but, like, it's something that isn't really covered. We get a lot of, like, you know, metaphors and even abuse metaphors in Harry Potter, but something that isn't covered is, like, how does domestic violence um, Play out. manifest yeah. when people can do magic? And like, can do it, serious harm. Yeah, like, 
you know, it sounds funny turning someone who are a yak. It's not really funny. But then also, like, is it things like that? Or can it be a form of gaslighting, but through actual magic, where mm. you think they're, make them think they're crazy, but it's actually magic, even if they are a wizard? Or is it straight up, like, Crucio? Or is it anything? But I think any It's something that. that is never really um, covered in Harry Potter no. at all. But I think, like, the idea of domestic violence in a magical world is quite scary like it's horrible like yeah the implications of it are really horrible yeah like people that are you know victims of domestic violence already have to go through so much yeah um and that's just could be even worse in the magical world yeah also don't turn people into yaks yeah um turn charlie into a yak so quick turn around back to the common room where fred and george are feeding fireworks to a salamander um not cool um do maybe they... that's what they eat well salamanders are fire creatures but i don't they don't eat fireworks how do you know because they they know it's not been done before because they're trying it and people are gathering to have a look sounds pretty funny to me do they know that wouldn't kill it like, do they, are they sure? Like, I know salamanders are fire creatures, but do they know for definite that this firework won't kill it? Just a bit of bantana. You know, kids, when we were kids, and they still probably do it now, used to go buy fireworks and tie them to cats' tails? What? What? Did you not know this? People what do I... that every bonfire night. No, but like, cats people die. you know? No. I was going to say! It's not people I know, but I knew it was a thing. We always kept our cats in on bonfire night. I feel like that's only like future serial killers that do that. Yeah, but Fred and George feeding fireworks to an animal. Who's to say they're not future serial killers? This is true. This is what I'm saying. You know why they're not? Why? Because one of them dies. (laughs) But this is what I'm saying. Don't feed fireworks to animals even if they are fire dwelling animals anyway so then they go to the death day party and hermione sees moaning myrtle and just mentions this funny line that going to the loo with someone who wails all the time is awful which i just think is hilarious that she's just like talking about going to the loo and like someone's just there like "Ah," next to her and she's just like it just makes peeing really hard no but like you know when you used to go to the loo in school and you'd be like you need to come do the dryer for me Oh, yes, people can do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so you'd always, like, bring a friend and they're like, do the dryer because for some reason it was a crime for anyone to hear you have a piss. <laughs> even though, what else are you going in there for? Uh, I feel like this is just like, you don't need to bring a friend for the dryer because you've got moaning Myrtle going, Aah! Like, to be honest, that's quite convenient. I just love that Hermione's like, it makes, it makes going to the loo awful. Like, she's just really distressed that someone's crying next to her while she's having a wee. I can't we unless someone is crying next to me again moaning myrtle another instance in this book when like female mental health is not taken seriously because nope. it's seen as oh she's hormonal and crying over boys she's a teenager like, she's crying I'm over sorry. boys no if moaning myrtle was crying in the toilets that much that means she either has mental health issues a serious hormonal disbalance or she would be bullied yes yeah like or mixed like mixed just don't just be like ha 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 isn't she sad yep so, um, listen to people. So they go to the food table and find out it's all mouldy and burnt. It's a really gross bit to of be the fair, book. burnt food can be good. Not mouldy food. Not mouldy, but like burnt, bit of burnt bread. But mm. like, did the house elves have to prep this? Were they like, okay, house think, elves, can I you just they would leave have. some food to go really gross? Just really gross. But like, there's no way the feasts are always finished. You know? Yeah, maybe they, it was just all maybe the Maybe it's out of their, like, bio-waste. <laughs> God. So just then... Like, they cracked open the food bin. <laughs> so then, the headless hunt arrives on ghost horses. Charlie. Yeah. Ghost horses. Mm-hmm. Ghosts have a... I mean, horses have a lot of unfinished business. <laughs> so, it's established in the text that ghosts come back, they're an imprint of the life they lived on earth because they feel like they don't want to pass on whether they have something to finish or whether they feel like they don't they they're not ready to pass on ghost horses 
let's face it, Hannah, they are all Grand National horses that just wanted to finish the fucking race. race. God, that's dark. True. Mm. But I was just like, is it the horse's choice to not pass on? Or is it its rider's choice and it forces the horse into the afterlife with it? I feel like it's a horse. I feel, you know. But did that mean there's ghost cats and ghost dogs wandering around? Is it I just ghost horses? I hope there are ghost cats. Oh my god, ghost cats would be great. I'd love a ghost cat. I'd just love a cat. Same. So, then, the headless hunt, then start to play a game of head hockey whilst Nick is doing his uh, birthday, death day speech. Rude. That's rude. Load of knobs. A bit rude. So, um, I, and I think, like, when you, like, read this when you're kind of, like, that age, that's your worst fear, having a birthday party, the cool people coming and just getting, like, all the attention. Yeah. And interrupting you just trying to talk to people. Yeah. Dicks. So, the gang leave because they're all cold and hungry, which is fair, you know, I think it's fair that they went in, said their hellos, and then was just like, yeah, no, done now. Um, and Harry... Here's the voice again. Here's the snake talking to himself. Yes, 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 yes. Kill, 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 kill. So HR, I've, I've started putting it in my notes as HRH. Harry, Ron, Hermione. Ah. Um, so HRH, run after the voice and find the writing on the wall. Because the writing's on the wall. That's the name of the next chapter. I'll sing it. Um, and there's also water, water all over the floor, which I realise is quite a good setup because literally a few paragraphs ago, Peeves teased Myrtle so badly that she went off and cried and flooded the bathroom. So if Peeves hadn't teased Myrtle, Mrs. Norris would have died. Chains of events. So what you're saying is that if Bullying's Myrtle good. wasn't so moist 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 we've officially lost any <laughs> listeners stop anyway just some setup and then they see mrs norris frozen on the wall my note is poor Mrs. Norris' sad face. Yeah, she didn't do anything wrong. She didn't. She's and a also she's not a squib or a Muggleborn. She's just a cat. Just a cat. She's but just a cat. As we know from our prior analysis, the snake was just really lonely. Thought it was like my pet cat, my friend. I'm talking to her. I'm gonna go say hi. Oh, oh no! Look what I did. What have I done? Oh, I just wanted a friend. Maybe he just all he wants is a friend, and every friend he tries to make, they die. Oh no, that's sad. That's really sad. That's really. Imagine if all he wants is a friend, and he kills them all. Yeah. Oh, the tragic story of the basilisk. Then he yeah. gets his eyes ripped out and then Harry murders him. Yeah, just when he could have had friends now that he's eyeless and then he just gets murdered. And it's like, you could have left him with no eyes. I know he's still a big snake and that's, you know, not ideal, but like... You could chill with a big snake. Yeah, exactly. Like, everyone loves a big snake, right? Wee. Wee. <laughs> so then, the gang are stuck nice. in... <laughs> the gang is stuck in the middle of the corridor as... And this is a bit of the text I can still not fathom to this day. The school leaves the feast and arrives at both ends of the corridor. What? Is that in the text or is that just in the film? No, it's in the text. People arrive from both end of the corridor. If you are leaving a feast, so you're all coming up one way from an entrance hall, how are you ending up at both ends of the corridor? And if you are, all that would cause, even if there wasn't a dead cat in the middle, is a... Like, do you remember pile-ups in corridors? No, but to be fair, if you had a hall of that size to host that many people, health and safety-wise, you need multiple exit exits. Yeah, but then those multiple exits seem to divulge into one corridor. Yeah. But, but I mean, maybe that was, like, you know, the interesting one there. Like, well, there's a dead cat. We're all going to go down there. We're here. all going to go down there. And like, it just reminded me of like crushes in school corridors. I once got knocked down in a crush in a school corridor. It's a shame he didn't die. Yep. But then what really confused me even more is that Dr Draco Malfoy shouts, you'll be next, mudbloods. Charlie, why is he on the second floor when he's just come from a feast? Where should he be going? Mm. His common room in the dungeons, not May upwards to the second floor. Maybe he's shagging someone from another house. <laughs> Age 12? 
some people mature young. But why is he on the second floor? I don't know. Maybe someone was like, hey, Draco, there's a sick dead cow on this floor. (laughs) Do you want to shout a meaningful line that will make people think you're the heir of Slytherin, even though you shouldn't be up there? Yeah, sure. I'll come do that. Yeah. No. No. Because plot. Plot. That's the end of the chapter, Charlie. Yay. What did you think of these two chapters? They were full of words and some plot and there was also characters involved. And Could you be more specific? Um, I've already forgotten what's just happened. Good. Um, good, 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 good. I'm not present for this podcast. That's all I'm saying. Okay. I quite I'm liked. glad that you picked me as your co-host. We picked each other. I quite like these chapters. They set a lot up. I especially liked our discussion about Muggleborns and Mudbloods and the implications. I think there's a lot of setup for every single book to follow. I liked the bit about cats. Great. Welcome to Goblet of Wine. Moist. <laughs> Expect more of this. <laughs> Moist. Goodbye. Moist. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To keep up with us in between episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Goblet of Wine Pod, on Instagram at Goblet of Wine Podcast, and on our website at www.gobletofwine.co.uk. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes or on Facebook. Thank you so much to our amazing Patreon producers, Sandra and Nina, for their help supporting this podcast. If you'd like to support us, as well as gaining access to behind-the-scenes content and bonus episodes, check out our Patreon on patreon.com slash Thank you so much for listening to this episode, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.